Broadcasting from deep within the great pit of Cartoon, this is the DBAC Discussion Podcast, your source for Star Wars news, theories, and reviews, with your hosts, TJ Bowser, Jordan White, Logan LeVegg, and Grandmaster Mo. everyone and welcome back to the do back discussion podcast this is your host tj bowser jordan white on the side joke the rogue grandmaster mo here today we have the rebel recap uh because of the finale that just happened we have a lot of uh, information about various interviews the last jedi deleted scenes some disney announcements we got the rogue rant as we do normally and Let's start today off with that Rebels recap. 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 <laughs> uh, Logan. All right. Um, so the finale was awesome. I think this is one of my favorite, like top, like probably top three episodes I've ever seen of Star Wars Rebels. It was really awesome. I love seeing Ahsoka come back. I love how they kept Ezra and Thrawn alive and away from the original trilogy, so they still could technically be alive. And it was awesome. I can't wait for the new series to come out. I just loved everything they put in it. It's now confirmed that uh, Captain Rex was in the Battle of Endor, so who knows if he's that old uh, trooper on the actual planet. Or And also, we learned that Hera Syndulla was part of the Battle of Endor as well, so she was flying the ghosts around, probably shooting TIE fighters in the battle. Which is awesome just to think about, thinking how there's the Millennium Falcon, there's the ghosts, and there's everyone there we know. And also, Commander Wolf survives, which is awesome. And uh, sadly, Gregor died. I was really sad about that, how a freaking Ugnaught could survive a shot to the chest, but Gregor can't. So, I was really irritated by that. But, um, just like, also seeing how Captain Rex... Uh, got promoted from captain to commander. That was really awesome. And also we see Jason Sindula, which is an Easter egg from uh, Legends from Jason uh, from Jason Solo. You know that for sure. Yeah. So I thought <laughs> this episode was amazing, and like seeing Ahsoka come back and seeing how she's like grown and like uh, how she literally looks like a master. Like she's gonna teach, like. I don't know, she could possibly teach Ray in episode nine, who knows? But just like all these things are coming together and kinda of like tied up some loose ends and uh I feel like it was just an amazing episode and I just can't wait till the new series comes out. Which we think is Star Wars Resistance, right? Yes. Okay, uh, I really liked the uh, this finale. It I personally I think it wrapped up everything in the most perfect way possible, other than the fate of Thrawn being in question here. Uh, I really enjoyed episode 14, uh, uh, the double, the double, double cross type thing they did with governor price and Ryder. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed how they incorporated Rook into that plan. I like, I mean, I like how everything played out. Uh, I like how Ezra had plan, had different plans and backup plans. It really show how, how uh, really showed how he matured over the last four seasons. I mean, they kind of did wait until the very last minute to give him a more of an adult look on things, but I guess it took uh, Kanan dying in order for them to show Ezra's true potential. Yeah, and also it is confirmed by Dave Filoni himself that both Ron and Ezra survived. Okay. Muhammad, what did you think about this stuff, man? Oh, man, I I don't want to be the third guy to say I love this, I love this episode, but I did. I thought... There's a lot of themes that get um, that are echoed in this episode. The most obvious one is Palpatine offering the main character, um, you know, a way for them to to have this to fulfill a returning or a longing for their loved ones. With Anakin Skywalker, obviously, he failed the test and ended up succumbing to the dark side. But with Ezra, we found he's a much more mature, much more strong-willed. Um, force wheel of an Anakin because he resisted 
um, the test and he ended up passing, um, so to speak. And he remained selfless and stayed true to himself. And that's how he brought victory to the people that he loved, ended up making a new family for himself. I mean, even to the point where, I mean, the, the illusion was so obvious to the point where Sidious um, projected himself as a younger, more attractive Palpatine rather than the old shriveled up piece of gunk that Sidious is. Um, I mean, even though the way that we ended up having um, <clears throat> Agent Callus and and what's his name, Zeb and Zeb, they you know they're long. They had like a rivalry. That. It was very, it was a very personal rivalry between them because of what had happened between um, Zeb's people and Asian Callus. That ended up be, being um, tied back together in a very kind of wholesome Disney way. Um, it wasn't too cheesy though. I didn't think it was a really nice touch, and even showed you that everyone um, has the, has the opportunity to do the right thing because you even have this pirate, you know, with the dreads coming out of his face. And this little cute little pig um, creature, they and en- they ended up, um, you know, with the pirate Hondo. He ended up doing the right thing. It just shows you that, um, and I think it it all goes back to the main thing, the main theme of all of Star Wars, which is that there's always hope. There's always hope for someone to do the right thing. There's always hope for the right thing to happen. And really, that's what we all hold on to at the end of the day. And if it wasn't for the participation of people of more questionable characters like Hondo, um, I don't think the mission could have been a success. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think this is the best we've seen Hondo since the Clone Wars. Uh, Jordan, you actually got to watch these two episodes. Uh, what did you think about the, the ending of uh, Star Wars Rebels and how it fit into the canonical timeline? Um, I didn't really have an issue with it. I think this is these are like the um, the only I guess other two episodes I watched besides the one that I got a glimpse of a while back. Um, I did enjoy the finale that they had for season four. Probably not as much as y'all did because I was more of a Clone Wars person. But I mean, yeah, some may say they're about the same things. So yeah, it came from the same people. But um, I did enjoy the ending. That little pig creature I found ha- to have some comic relief to him. You know, he was pretty cool. He took it's a shot. It's an Ugnaught. An Ugnaught, yes, okay. <laughs> we see them in episode five, um, right? The little fake death scene when he got shot and Hondo almost almost cried about it. Right. It kind of made me laugh. Um, Ezra resisting the dark side. Kind of a letdown for me because, you know, I made a prediction in the last uh last podcast where he, I thought he would turn, but, you know, a bit of a letdown. He said no, unlike Anakin, <laughs> who gave up. What, a part of you just wanted him to reach his hand through that fucking door and just be like, I yes, wanted him to go straight yes. through. <laughs> I, mean, for, I, mean, I feel like that's part of the thing for all of us is that we all deep down wanted that for Ezra. Yeah, but it wasn't cool. We couldn't blame him much if he had chosen to. And I think the us whole uh, maybe the the possibility of Ezra going to the dark side is uh, because back in the previous seasons we did see him fool around with a Sith holocron, and right. a lot of his power and his uh, I want to say power, but his there was a there's a brief gap in Rebels where it showed him increase power quickly, and I believe that's from him studying that Sith holocron. I mean, he didn't go about it the right way, but hey, if the knowledge is there, he used it, you know. He, mm-hmm. al- he always hasn't been on the straight and narrow when it comes to training, mainly because he is growing up and learning in a post in a post Order sixty six world, and uh, Kanan is the only Kanan and Yoda, while Ahsoka also, were his only ways of learning the Force. And whenever he got a hold of that holocron, I mean, it, it gave him that taste of the dark side that no one else would have been there, other than Maul. And I wouldn't even say Maul was a Sith at that point. Maul was more on a a revenge kick, you know, following the whole Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. I mean, that's his whole existence. Yeah, like when they first found Darth Maul, uh, they were like, so Darth Maul lives. He's like, formerly Darth, now oh. just Maul. So he's just mm-hmm. gone with the Sith. He's not a Jedi. He's not a Sith. He's neither. He's kind of like Ahsoka, but leans more towards the dark side. Yeah. I did like how they the, how they showed Ahsoka at the end. I, I really liked how it kind of like led into Star Wars Resistance. And I can see how that's going to move on into the stuff. And I think we're going to see that next year with the release of this, uh, the Disney streaming service. I feel like this is the perfect time for uh, them to release it. I don't see them uh, 
releasing it before then because this is something to attract people to that new streaming service. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, Mohammed, whenever it came to uh, the Kanan thing, uh, do you think that when Kanan died and made Ezra, Ezra mature, like it forced him to mature and made Dave Filoni have to show Ezra maturing that quickly? Oh, absolutely. I think, like we've discussed before, like Logan has brought up um, in previous episodes, the death of the master always has a transformative effect on the apprentice. And in a lot of ways, the death of the master is all about the apprentice and how he takes um, how he takes this death. I mean, we know that Obi-Wan, part of the reason that he ended up taking on Anakin Skywalker is at the behest of his dying master, of his last sort of wish before he died in his arms at the hands of Maul in episode one and uh, same thing here we now he had a moment where he was lost and did not know what to do but ezra came to the occasion he rose to the occasion and really delivered as a full a full i don't want to say a full-fledged jedi because of course there's other connotations to that but but as a full-fledged hero really as when he really came into his own into his own as a comfort into his own comfort as a leader for the ghost crew he had everyone behind him and trusting him and he even um like like you just brought up um a couple of minutes ago he had a sign of his maturity was that he had a lot of backup plans for the kind of the, the feelings that he had and he only trusted certain people with certain parts of that so i think absolutely that the death of canaan spurred this maturity onto onto Ezra and whether whether or not he was ready for it I think he ended up handling it marvelously what do you think about the deep space wells how they incorporated them to take down the uh, the star destroyers I think that was very uh, very neat how they put out that frequency and they used that to their advantage to overpower what would have been a horrible situation if they wouldn't have done that and I think it was good planning on Ezra's part in order to get them there to take down those star destroyers I mean Thrawn alone we all know here uh, the Thrawn behind a Star Destroyer is probably one of the most dangerous things in Star Wars. Uh, but to pull a card out like that, that was just so smooth and so intelligent. And I don't think we've seen those sp space wells since uh, Season 2. Uh, it was very interesting how they used that and how Ezra kind of did the whole sacrificing himself thing, kind of like Kanan did in order to defeat the ultimate enemy at the end, which ended up being Thrawn. I think it was kind of brutal also how their main plan was to uh, bring all the Imperials into the Dome and then blow it up. You thought it was cruel? No, I, it's kind of brutal. I mean, for I mean, Clone Wars was brutal, but that wasn't regulated by Disney standards. And I feel like Disney XD right. kind of let Filoni have, have his way with this because he wanted to wrap it up. And I believe whenever the show was announced, it was only announced for initially four to five seasons. So... From what Dave Filoni has said in some interviews, that this was all planned from the beginning. But yeah, if, I mean, if this was really planned from the beginning, then why does it feel like Ezra didn't grow up fast enough? I think he grew up in spurts, in like in in short periods where he'd grow up really fast, and then he'd go on back to being a little kid, and then in another short period he'd grow up really fast. So like he'd hit like growth spurts here and there, I think. And it's obviously most um, embodied in cutting his hair. I think hair is a huge deal in the Star Wars universe. When he cuts his hair, when Kanan cuts his hair, changes his hair. Um, these are all symbolic of very important character developments. So I, I don't think that it wasn't he didn't grow up fast enough. I think that it was just, I don't know, uneven development, if that's the right term. Or um, maybe... I don't know what the right term would be, but it was in, definitely, I think, in short spurts. Maybe it lagged a little bit too much in the beginning, but I do think he came into his own in his own time, and whatever someone with his background would have been able to do. Yeah, I can, I can agree with you on that. Uh, Logan, what do you, uh, what do you think about the space wells and the way it ended? The, that, um, that I main think it fight. was very interesting. It was really surprising to see the whales. I was like, what could Ezra possibly get? Like, what else is there? Is he going to bring in like? some rebel ships is it going to be kind of like in the battle of scarce where they're surprised by ships like that's what i was hoping at first i'm like oh i want to see home run like home one and the profundity and like all those other rebel ships just come in and like totally destroy thrawn's fleet and then i just see these whales i'm like oh well that's really surprising and i see them like 
going on like destroying the TIE fighters and destroying the Star Destroyers. And I was like, okay, this is actually a lot cooler than I thought it would be. And I was just really surprised and really excited by it. Yeah. Uh, so Mohammed, uh, Kristen Harloff interviewed Dave Filoni just before the uh, Rebels finale. You want to talk about that a little bit, man? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, we see Dave Filoni is back with his signature cowboy hat. Um, What's under there? Refer- yeah, what? I think George Lucas is secretly hiding under that hat. That's what's going on. It's yeah. the heir apparent secretly. The Godfather is hiding under the hat. Absolutely. But yeah, uh, I think one of the things about this is in the beginning, um, Harloff refers to Filoni as the heir apparent to George Lucas. And I think that's, that's pretty true if you, for those of us who've kept track of his career. Um, of course, this interview um, takes about 21, 22 minutes long. So we don't want to ruin too much for the for the listeners. But important things are touched upon, like the the what is it the the jedi temple and that little that fourth dimensional area where you can go in between time it kind of was a perfect place and something i didn't think about which is what um feloni mentions is that it's a great place to contrast the different um the different approaches to the force which is that ezra was given this opportunity he came in and he used it to save someone now of course that someone being ahsoka and then and he also wanted to use it to, to save Kanan, as we know. He ended up not doing it for obvious reasons. But then Sidious' approach to it, which is that he would take it and dominate it and use it to destroy. So the different approaches. So it's kind of the way he referred to it is it's this zone where all of Star Wars exists simultaneously. And the different approaches to the Force, I think, was, was a perfect example. And I mean, there's a lot more talk um we could discuss from within the interview itself but that's one thing that really stood out to me and i really enjoyed it's one of the great things about looking at these interviews is that without spoilers it, they do give you another perspective of what's meant to happen of what something was meant to be um at the same time without delegitimizing our own initial reaction to the series yeah <clears throat> Any uh, any comment on that? Anyone? <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, I thought it was. I thought the interview was really good, and I don't want to really want to spoil it for anybody. But uh, they were kind of talking about legends and how like that time travel thing could kind of like make canon almost like legends because legends was always like mixed up. Right. So, um, but like right. it could possibly with time travel. Like imagine all the stuff that could change. Like instead of like. I don't know, Darth Vader about to kill new gun rain, Ezra saves new gun new gun rain, like the CIS can continue. We're like well, what would I that do? Like how would that benefit? I don't know, but I'm just giving you ideas like on what can like change. Like imagine if like Anakin like what if Darth Vader got the time travel and he could go and save Padme. Yeah. Or maybe he could use it for evil and he can just kill Obi Wan. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, this is like something that I don't, some people see it as too dangerous to add into the canon, but I think it's something that's just gives endless possibilities of the imagination, which is at the end of the day, the imagination of the fans is what keeps the Star Wars universe going. That's how I've interpreted it, um, personally, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, a little speculation here about this whole, um, Jedi Temple doorway thing. That's going on. I feel like that that doorway leads into the pure force itself. And once you leave, once you go through the doorway, the force changes perception or it changes um, basically whatever you want. It basically turns into whatever you want it to be and you can do whatever you want and it influences the world around it as if that actually happened instead of it actually being time travel. Or would that be something else? I mean, that's certainly not something that's, um, that's not, it's not something that's unplausible. It's definitely a plausible theory. I think I never thought about it too much like that. I mean, this is something I just came up with off dome (laughs) as we were talking (laughs) about it. The pure force. I'm not too familiar with the the pure force, the living force, the yada yada force, but I mean, the pure force is not a thing. I'm saying it's all force energy. It's not anything Mm -hmm. else. There's a lot about the force we still don't know yet. That's to be explored. That's to be explored in other media and other uh, films. So, 
we got a glimpse of the uh, the Last Jedi deleted scene of the alternate Phasma death, uh, which shows Finn cutting off Phasma ha- Phasma's hand with that electro staff looking thing, and then shooting her with uh, the blaster rifle. What's that blaster rifle called, Jordan? Uh, I didn't exactly get a look at it. It's the heavy blaster from Battlefront Two that the First Order uses. The FWWB? Yes, that Something one. like that. And blows her away. Hardcore. I mean, I kind of yeah. like I like the one that they have in the movie. I, I mean, I want to say the one that they have in the movie is better. But then again, this Phasma one, uh, <laughs> it leaves no, uh, no question that whether she's dead or not. I think the one in, that's currently in use for The Last Jedi leaves a speculation to whether Phasma's alive or dead or not. While this one kind of pretty much solidifies her death, if you think about it, because getting your hand cut off and then shot and thrown however far you were, uh, pretty much just means she's gone. And the whole uh, scream like a whoop hog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Squealed like a whoop hog. I just love it. For one, we don't know what the hell a whoop hog is. For two, the fact that he said that, I mean, it's not as cool as let's go chrome dome but uh <laughs> the whole whoop hog thing's pretty neat i i do like how they gave us a little glimpse of this uh i think phasma was due something we didn't see a lot of phasma you know and i think i've brought this up before that uh as much as disney has pushed phasma like merchandise wise and stuff like that we really don't have that much uh information on her other than a book and two movies you know mm-hmm. right I feel like she needs another uh, another outlet or a media, some sort of uh, bat more stories, you know? She just didn't yeah, get definitely. there by chance. I mean, the book explained a lot, but she's definitely an interesting character at that. I, I, I hope she's not gone. I mean, she probably is, because we're going to see a different, a whole different Star Wars movie whenever Episode Nine comes out. I feel like J.J.'s going to take it in another direction, kind of more of the episode seven type feel because episode eight was something that none of us expected and it didn't feel exactly like a like the average star wars movie and i think that's what ryan johnson set out to do and i i phasma was a jj character and whenever johnson introduced his characters i feel like some of jj's characters got pushed to the wayside like phasma uh the knights of ren hux stuff like that and he utilized more of the heroes and more of the characters that he introduced like rose you know Mm-hmm. I agree with you, but I honestly feel like Phasma is not dead. People say she could be dead. I doubt it, considering how much hype has been put around her. I feel like she yeah. may have a pretty decent-sized role in the next movie, and I also feel like she is very much alive. <laughs> okay. Because the way, she, the way she died, if she was to end up in space, she's probably still alive, considering that those suits that they have are pressurized. So they can last for. Uh, she has a hole in her face. Hmm? She has a hole in her face. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well then. <laughs> <laughs> well then. Uh, well, maybe have maybe have in the next episode like her. I believe it was her left eye is like all muffed up, but like the rest of her muffed is fine. Up. Muffed yeah. up. Probably. She could probably pull some Princess Leia bullshit. Some Princess Leia bullshit. Phasma <laughs> has a force. It's confirmed. <laughs> I mean, for sure. I, I, I've always, I mean, I've never been too much in, too invested in a, in a character like like Phasma. Um, from Episode Seven, didn't see much of her that was too, other than the fact that she was a like a brutal badass captain. But in this one, if she does die, I will be disappointed only because they've invested so much hype, uh, merchandising and everything into the character. So it just seems like kind of a waste, like. For to go like that, at least if she had been given, uh, as as we saw in the deleted in the deleted scene, death is a lot more clear and decisive than um, than what we were given. So I think perhaps giving not going with the more decisive death is partly because they plan on bringing her back. But I guess there really is this is all pure speculation at this point, and we'll never really know until um, December of 2019. Oh, yeah. And a nice little fun fact about um, her little death, that other death that they didn't put in there. She still could have survived that. I feel like she still could have survived. Okay, well, because we'll see. With the, with the way her armor is designed, and I'm talking about the death that has been pulled out, not the one that's currently in the movie. Okay. Um, With the way her armor is designed, 
you know um clone trooper armor and just armor in general for like the clone troopers stormtroopers and uh yeah the plastoid the first armor. order troopers is meant to disperse the energy of blasters right yeah and phasma's armor is not normal armor i think we've talked about this before her armor is made it, out of the, the 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 hull of the emperor's naboo cruiser so if it can survive re-entry it can survive the blast yeah it's made from chromium that's what her armor is made out of yes. and chromium is even better than regular stormtrooper armor so if she was to be shot I highly doubt that she would die from that, and her hand being cut off probably wouldn't kill her either. Yeah, we just got a Luke Skywalker and an Anakin Skywalker situation going on there. Yeah, that's what I mean. So if they were to throw in her other death, I feel like she would have survived that. Agreed. Uh, What do we got up next on the list here? We got some uh, Mohammed action. There we go, buddy. Yeah, we do. So, (laughs) as of March 4th, Disney had announced 26 movies through 2023. Um, that's five years. So within the next five years, we're going to have 26 movies. What does that mean for us Star Wars fans? According to Star Wars News Net, wow, this is a lot. Um, a lot of different movies. But from the whole listing of the movies, there's, there's a whole two. lot of untitled Disney live action, untitled Marvel movie, untitled Disney animation. What's interesting, however, is that um, they don't say whether we don't know for the only Lucasfilm movies listed under here is Star Wars Episode Nine and Indiana Jones Five, um, and of course Star Solo, a Star Wars story. But what we don't know is how much of these untitled Disney live action movies are going to be Star Wars. How much? How many of them are not? And but this is not including the TV series either. In, to put it in context, what we do know is that. They are planning on making Avatar, uh, according to Bob Iger, they're planning on making Avatar a franchise the size or roughly the size of Star Wars, trying to really hit the Chinese markets and the East Asian markets somewhere that Star Wars has not really hit, hit it, um, taken off. So for sure, we will see a lot of that. What I don't, personally, I think that if they do take it, take it back a notch, uh, on producing all these live action Star Wars movies, that it could mean they're trying to focus more on resistance on the resistance TV show, trying to focus more on other media for star Wars as well. Like more novels, more comic books, like uh, more children's books, uh, more music type stuff. Or maybe another thing is that even though Kenobi is almost all, but official, we all but officially know it's going to be, it's going to happen in the next couple of years. It's not, it's not on the list. So we don't really know what's, planned and what isn't really there's a whole lot of i don't know yeah there is a lot and uh i wish that we would get an announcement but i'm, I'm gonna guess at the comic-con this year we might get an announcement of the next anthology film or hopefully. some sort of information about that and i mean indiana jones 5 will come out and hopefully that will be the end of that one you know <laughs> because Harrison Ford is in his late well, early 70s mid 70s and I just don't see him being the action star as he was and he needs a last hurrah especially as indie but this is a Star Wars podcast and I won't get into my love for Indiana Jones right now uh <laughs> now let's focus on the the March 27th 2020 Mulan release uh I'm pretty excited because it's a live action version of Mulan and I don't think anybody else cares here because no one else likes Mulan as much as me. So let's move on to the next topic, which I believe should be the Rogue Rant. So we'll be right back. Rogue time. It's now time for the Rogue Rant. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Joke the Rogue with the Rogue Rant. And today we will be talking about the Hut Clan. The Hut Clan has been around for centuries in Star Wars. They are led by the Grand Hut Council, which consisted of Gardula, Jabba, Gorga, Aruk, Marlo, and Aruba the Hutt. During the Clone Wars, they were allied with the Republic and the, Sh- and the Shadow Collective for some time. The Hutt clan continued to thrive during the Galactic Civil War and even made an alliance with the Galactic Empire. After Jabba's death, the Hutt clan had gotten much weaker. A few decades, a few decades after the Galactic Empire had been defeated by the Rebel Alliance, the Hutt clan had lost its great power and lost control of the Nikto, which was its most slaved species. They had then lost so much power due to the New Republic because the new laws that were put in made the huts so they couldn't trade or smuggle. 
Hi, welcome back to the Do Back Discussion Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed the Joe... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we enjoy the Joe. Keep going. This is raw. <laughs> the Joe Grant. <clears throat> Hi, welcome back to the Do Back Discussion Podcast. Hopefully you enjoy our Rogue Grant. And coming back, I'm going to bring us back to the to the podcast discussing author Phil Sostak, him discussing the process of creating his art of Star Wars book series. Now, on May 25th, that's when we're going to have the Art of Solo, a Star Wars story uh, book. That's when it's going to hit shelves. But last Sunday, Phil Shostak, who's the author, took to Twitter and shared the process for making his Art of Star Wars books with all of the fans that follow him. Now, especially those who are interested in exactly how creatively things work over at Lucasfilm. And I quote, been thinking about doing a step-by-step thread on my process for making an Art of Star Wars book for a while. Partly just to give you guys a glimpse into how things really work, into how things work creatively at Lucasfilm more generally. So away we go. Basically, first, the introduction. The first thing that he, he talks about when he finishes writing is the intro, which is an opportunity to express his own thoughts on the themes of the film and how they connect to the artistic process as a whole. The intro is both his favorite and the most difficult part of crafting, excuse me, of crafting those books. Totally just burped there. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. Second, structure. He tries to make each art, quote unquote, art of book, differently themed and tailored to the film itself. The total page count is always the same. So he figures out what he wants each chapter to cover, and then he does the math or a rough sense on how much room per topic he has. Now, Abraham's book... The Art of the Force Awakens moved chronologically through production, partly to connect back to the prequel art of books because of its three-year artistic evolution, seemed the most fascinating story to tell. The art of Rogue One marched toward March world to world throughout the film. Which that's how he basically structures each book tailored toward the experience of the movie as a whole, basically. He decided to structure the art of The Last Jedi as character journeys, starting with Luke's life on the island pre-Ray, and then going character to character in order of prominence and how they intersect until they all converge eventually on crate. Structure is always left completely up to him, he says. Third, interviews and transcription. Who he interviews and in setting up the interviews is always also left up to him. Some are conducted by the phone, others by email, but the best and easiest to transcribe, according to him, are in person. They are at least an hour long and sometimes more than one interview is required, he says. He records each interview on a little digital recorder, and for security's sake, he transcribes them himself in case something should go wrong. And that's the most time-consuming and laborious part of the process. He says one hour of interview equals six-plus hours of transcribing. Wow. (laughs) He usually conducts 20-ish interviews per book, and I can't even do that math, but that's over 100 hours of transcription. That's a lot of math. So all power to you, Phil. Um, you go, Phil. Though laborious, transcribing the interviews myself does cement the information into my head, making writing the manuscript a lot easier. Every year, I get to travel to Pinewood Studios to conduct whatever interviews I can squeeze into a couple of days on set. Um, Phil said he's going to continue his, de- his in-depth look at some point in the future, starting with step number four, gathering the concept art, exclamation point. But we'll be sure to keep you guys updated on everything, so just... Stay tuned, and if we hear anything back, we'll make sure you guys hear about it. Oh, you will. <laughs> but anyway, guys, let's move on to the next thing, which is something I'm excited about. Uh, we are getting a sail barge. We are getting a sail barge. Well, kind of we're getting a sail barge because recently HasLab, Hasbro, are trying to make some monies from all of us uh Star Wars vintage collectors out there by making a 3.75 inch scale of the Jabba sail barge. And if you look at this thing, guys, it looks fantastic. I don't know if it comes with Jabba, though. Oh, well, it doesn't look like it. The sail Just barge. Put a slug and put it in there. Yeah. The <laughs> sail barge is going to be $500. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Logan. <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd buy it, but I don't collect three point seven five inch. So what am I do? Put my six inch, and this motherfucker's gonna be look really big. Like I got the episode six, uh, 
SH figure arts, Luke, uh, Luke Skywalker, like, and it's the one that, like, is from the sail barge while he's, like, walking on the plank about to go into the great pit of Carcoon. Uh, you know, with the hair blown in the wind and stuff and him looking like a big old triumphant bastard. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but $500 for a massive fucking sail barge. I mean, that's a lot of money. But collectors are going to buy these, and I think these are limited to, uh, I'm going to say like 2000 I'm, I'm just going to go out there and say 2000 I'm not 100, 173% sure of that. But we're going to say about uh, 2000 limited to. But here's what's going to happen is people are going to buy these up. People are going to buy more than one, maybe. And then they're going to resell them. And we're going to talk about the prices being jacked up on these on eBay in a couple months. We're talking about $1,000, maybe $1,200. And the same thing recently happened with a uh, line of... Uh, columbia star wars edition uh, jackets is you could buy them from a reasonable price and then the next week i was on ebay and i saw them for twelve hundred dollars still in the bag because it was a limited run i mean this is stuff star wars stuff goes up in price by the limited number i mean we all know how business works we all know how economics works the co- uh the supply and demand and all that stuff yada 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 this is not an economics podcast but anyway <laughs> this sail barge looks into one if you want. Oh, let's do that. The sail barge looks very intricate, and I love the three D models on this. It's absolutely crazy. And if someone, let's say, someone does collect the three point seven five inch, the three and three quarter uh, inch figures, this is the perfect way to display them. I mean, seriously, this would be the greatest thing in the world. And I can't wait to see what it's going to look like whenever it's all colored up and stuff. And I'm sure we're going to see one at Comic Con or a Disney celebration or something like that. I mean, the detail on this is just impeccable, really. You see that little Gamorrean guard head? <laughs> yeah, man, that was that looks pretty lit. Mm-hmm. In the cockpit? Mm, cockpit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never yeah. knew the uh, cockpit was for the sail barge. This is interesting to know. I always thought it was, like, re- near the back of the ship. but Yeah, I wonder if we can no- get, like, a Max Rebo type thing in there, get a little dancing going on, you know? You can got a little... What was that one? Stupid ass bed for Java. Oh yeah, I mean, it, I, from what it looks like, is we're gonna get a stupid ass bed for Java. I I get like a like Princess Leia, like a slave Leia, and just have her like choking him with like a little chain. True. Wait, is that an Athorian that's uh in the prison cell? I don't know. Probably that's what it looks like. Uh, Jamba Loki has a doggy bed for herself. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's lit, though, bro. Ho- hopefully, uh, it gets all the people that it needs to be produced. Uh, Jordan. Mm. Talk about that John Favreau, bro. <laughs> okay, so we'll talk about that John Favreau. Um, Favreau is slated to um, uh, create a new show for the streaming service that is launching for Disney in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it was just posted over at StarWars.com. In addition to his impressive track record and body of work, Favreau is no stranger to Disney and Star Wars. So even at face value, it makes perfect sense. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy mm. clearly, shapes, clearly shares those sentiments. She says, and I quote, I couldn't be more excited about John coming on board to produce and write for the new direct-to-consumer platform. John brings the perfect mix of producing and writing talent combined with the fluency in the Star Wars universe, this series will allow John the chance to work with a diverse group of writers, directors, and directors and give Lucasfilm the opportunity to build a robust talent base. John Favreau's uh, voice in that monkey, too. <laughs> you guys know, you guys are familiar with uh, John Favreau, right? So for, for us friends, fans out there, he was on an episode of Sopranos. <laughs> uh, do you guys watch? Do you guys watch Friends? No, I do not. I've only seen like, a few episodes. I know he's doing the new uh, live-action Lion King, though. Are you guys even American? Huh? I think I am. Hold on, let me check. Hey, am I American? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Uh, no, you're from Canada. I'm Canada. No, I'm not Canadian. <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, what is some of the stuff that John Favreau's done? Ah, fact check. Uh, Favreau. Is that like a 
Italian, no, not Italian. It's a oh, French, French. French. Favreau. He did Schwingers. He did Chef. He did Iron Man. Daredevil. Daredevil was shitty. He's doing Lion King. He's doing an untitled Avengers movie. He did Infinity War. Jungle Book 2. Untitled Star Wars project. Young Sheldon. He was a producer for episode one. The Orville. He was in episode one. Jungle Book. Sonara Chronicles, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Revolution, about a boy, Chef Iron Man 3. It seems that Disney and has like a hard-on for this guy. Like Bob Iger just fucking watches his movies and his dick just instantly gets hard. Oh, he also <laughs> did Green Street Hooligans. He was a producer for that, uh, Cowboys and Aliens. This guy loves his sci-fi and his cooking shows. Jesus Christ. me! But anyway. I mean, uh, me too. Like, yeah. I, I like to get behind the stove. Oh, he did. Well, I love sci-fi. <sighs> You know I love Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have ho- high hopes for that. You know, we 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 all, we want yeah, we want a live action uh, Star Wars uh, TV show. That'd be really cool. Now uh, Simon Kinberg is still writing a movie. Jordan, did you see that? He is still writing a movie. Wasn't he supposed to do some sort of Boba Fett movie? And then it got like tanked or some shit. I don't fucking know. Talk about it, bro. Talk about it. Well, about that um, that Boba Fett movie, it was pushed back and replaced by the Solo movie. Sad face for me because I wanted to see that movie. Boba Fett. <laughs> Boba Fett. Really where? That That's Fett. exactly where because fucking Han Solo replaced his ass. Continue. <laughs> that hurt my feelings, but he was <laughs> supposed to come up with a spinoff after completing the work on Star Wars Rebels. Um. A week before The Last Jedi was released, Omega Underground mentioned something about the project known as Tin Can, resumed development <laughs> at Lucasfilm. <laughs> Tin Can makes it sound like it's about a droid. <laughs> but, um, Maybe it's about IG-88. We don't know. <laughs> Simon <laughs> Kilbering involved as a writer and producer. Insiders have, rejected, have suggested that Tin Can, Tin Can refers <laughs> to the Boba Fett slash Bounty Hunter project. Well then, <laughs> right? I want, if we get a Boba Fett movie, here, here's what I'm envisioning. Uh, I want to see him hunting down someone. I don't fucking care who, but Bosk better be there. Denger better be there. IG88 motherfucking better be there. Uh, I want Zuckus Forlom. I want all them sons of bitches up in that shit. I want Greedo. Greedo should be there for Greedo, sure. sure. And I, I want just I want everyone to so like Greedo was like the worst fucking bounty hunter next to Dengar. Like he did, he was not good at his job. I mean, hey, he was. Dengar was good. Dick. Did you see his bandages? Look at Dengar from the Clone Wars versus Dengar from Ep- Empire Strikes Back. That motherfucker's been through a lot. Yeah. What did what did Boba Fett have that's different? He, he he got a little <laughs> hole in his fucking head. Everyone else is unscathed. Dengar looks like he's through been through hell and back. Except for Greedo. He's I been think we'll see Greedo in the movie. Yeah, that's true. He should have shot first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to fire some shit now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hopefully we get a Boba Fett movie. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah, that's really bad. And I'm hoping if if he does make a Boba Fett movie, which he's supposed to be, uh-huh. it's going to be younger Boba Fett, like Clone Wars Boba Fett. Played by uh, Daniel Logan. Mm-hmm. I want to see that version of Boba Fett and see what they did during the Clone Wars. If they don't oh, get Daniel Logan to play Boba Fett, Nicole. that's going to be very Besides sad. Besides what we saw in the Clone Wars, okay? Besides! <laughs> like a comic. This is all hopeful stuff here. Uh, Bring in 1313 back. Please! <laughs> so, Muhammad, we, uh, Mark Hamill got his star, and uh, he was sitting Jedi style. Long awaited. Yeah, I yes, know. he did. Excellent. George event. Lucas and Harrison Ford were there to share in the moment with them. And R2. In this picture, a little R2-D2. Yeah. That's excellent. It's it's wonderful. It's long overdue. I mean, I'm sure Harrison has had one there for years. But, Mark, I, I feel like a lot of people just don't understand like how extensive his work has been in Hollywood and the amount of talent that this guy has. I mean, we owe our childhood to this guy. And right. he, he he's like... He's a role model for all of us, and we've always tried to live up to that. Those, uh, you know, that Luke Skywalker. We're all, we all can relate to that guy. We always just try to get to his w- amount of wisdom. And with Episode Eight, whenever it came out, I mean, we kind of see a, a different side of Luke. But uh, I feel like it was a 
It was a, it was a good version of Luke. Uh, oh, I I really enjoyed that, and especially I think he he hit it home, hit it perfectly. I think um, a couple of things here and there could have could have been done a little differently, but mm-hmm. overall, I mean, it was just an, a great performance. It just even even his comedic timing. Um, to see how far he's come in the last 40 years of Star Wars. And like you said, his extensive history in Hollywood and the work that he's done and just not, everyone knows him as just Luke Skywalker, but really he's so much more than that. He's the Joker. He's, um, I'm sure Jordan could list off a whole, uh, a whole repertoire. <laughs> yep. Uh, George Lucas said, uh, Mark Hamill is a character that can be written. He is extremely enthusiastic about everything he does. And that exactly what I, and that's exactly what I was looking for when I was looking for Luke Skywalker. I was looking for somebody that had grown up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere that was very naive and about what was going on in the world. Young but enthusiastic, and he proved to wear his medal well. I'd gone through a very long process of casting, and it became very clear after a while when we started doing screen tests that not only was he a good actor, but he was a great with the with the other actors that were in the finals to be cast of Star Wars. I'm very proud of Mark for getting this star. We've been around together for I don't know want to I don't want to say how many years, and Mark, you've come a long way from the casting session to getting your star on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, what did Harrison say? Uh, well, one of his things that he said was like, there was a lot more people at mine, which was <laughs> really funny. And then he started, he got really emotional when he said that one person of their trio, of course, Carrie Fisher was not there. And, uh, Rip. yeah, so just a lot of stuff like that. And so it was very interesting, like very emotional. And it was really nice to see them kind of talk about Carrie and you just see Luke kind of get like heartfelt and I think that was really nice I mean really Mark Hamill's really he's really humble and you can see the humility in it and that even after it was announced that he'd be getting his star he says you can get self-conscious about it like am I worthy of this quote uh end quote and I mean and he's also humorous he joked that it's going to be somewhere far far away um yeah but still, I I mean, like we said, he's long overdue. He's a great character. He's a great actor. He's a great um, voice actor as well. And just his work ethic is something that deserves to be recognized. He fully deserves this star, in my opinion. It's It's been long awaited and long deserved. He's had many years that he actually deserved that. Um, he's been through... Many different things, many things he's acted in, most notably Star Wars, but he has been a voice actor for um the Batman animated series with his Joker, best Joker of all, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> um, And he honestly should have gotten that star back when the first few Star Wars movies came out, in my opinion. He was one of the best actors in those movies, if not the best. He's no Harrison for him, but... Yeah, no, you, I agree with you. He definitely should. It's been long overdue. So, Logan, uh, that, that, that new featurette for The Last Jedi, man, Ralph McQuarrie. Oh, yeah, dude. These look awesome. Like, just the first picture of, like, Luke on crate. Uh, well, actually, no, sorry, not that. Uh, but the, uh, probe droid, uh, yeah. looks pretty cool. Um, I guess that's how we got the, uh concept for crate and then the picture after that was like luke skywalker and kylo ren over on crate with like the, like it looks like different walkers than that were actually in the movie the different designs which those look kind of out of whack but those look pretty good still but i feel like uh raw from Corey made like the concept for crate was amazing um i feel like it was just great to have and yeah yeah, it was uh, it was very interesting. Ralph McQuarrie is just so iconic in the work that he's done with Star Wars. And a lot of his art that was originally drawn up for Star Wars has still lasted throughout the years. And they still use it to this day to create content, you know. And yeah. I think they even continued that, that down with uh, The Last Jedi. And also in this featurette, they showed uh, how, did they, how they created the crate scenes. And it was very interesting on how, how they actually did that. I like how we're getting these uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes like we did in the previous films on the Blu-ray releases, you know. I, I think that's part of the, the part that makes us love Star Wars so much is that we get to see the behind-the-scenes thing and creating and how they make this galaxy that is so far, far away but make it so realistic to us that it's believable, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, have you guys ever watched any of the featurettes in the other films? Um, I think I watched one for Rogue One, mm. but that was about it. I see. Uh, for me, I haven't seen any of the featurettes for the films, but I've watched a lot of them for the Clone Wars, like Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Yeah. They have a featurette for like the majority of the major arcs, especially um, the uh, Ambaran arc. That one Ooh. is very interesting. Oh, I yeah, definitely. And the one with the attack on Kamino, they made a featurette for that as well, specifically. That was, I enjoyed both of those a lot. Those both were large battles. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mohammed, J.J. Abrams released a statement right. on all this this hate. Would you like to... Uh... Right, right. Yeah, um, his, talking about his recent statement on the Star Wars backlash, I think it was a, a very important statement and it's very decisive and very forceful, yet um, something that really needed to be said, I think, especially from someone with as much power as him. A lot of the criticism and the backlash that went against Ryan Johnson's, um, the way he made episode, the way he made episode eight, which is back, especially regarding the, the sexism of it. There, he's quote, he quote says, their problem isn't Star Wars. Their problem is being threatened. If you are someone who feels threatened by women and needs to watch out against them, you can probably find an enemy in Star Wars. You can probably look at the first movie that George Lucas did in Star Wars, A New Hope, and say that Leia was too outspoken or she was too tough. Anyone who wants to find a problem with anything can find the problem. The internet seems to be made for that. And boys, chore words have not been spoken, have they, title? <clears throat> I do think that, um, especially all this talk about Mary Sue and the political pandering, it's kind of kind of ridiculous, especially for a franchise like Star Wars. I mean, like like we talked but like we've said before, the biggest enemy of a Star Wars fan is another Star Wars fan. And though it pulled pretty well the movie with non um, Star Wars, you know, people, the audience from outside the fandom. At the same time, it it didn't do that well from within the fandom. But then again, we look at episode episode five, Empire Strikes Back, and see that at first that movie did not do as well either, and now it's come to pretty much recognized as the best one of all of them. Um, so yeah, the the article goes goes on into it, and even goes into. Um, I think everyone, he goes on to say, I think everyone is going to have their point of view. Certainly something I discovered early on in the Star Wars world is that you're going to have an incredibly passionate and vocal fan base, and they're all going to have a lot of specific opinions. So it, he kind of touches on the trickery or why it takes, why it's such a hard job to work within the Star Wars communities because it's so vast. The universe is so big and there's just so many fans. You can't satisfy every single one of them. Best thing you can do is try to make a good, nice, solid piece of art and hope that everyone can see in it what you have put into it. And I, I personally, I think I've seen it episode eight with been put into it. And I side with him 100% in his statement. Yeah, I agree with you. JJ uh, will be the next, will be in the eye of the next. Uh, <laughs> backlash following episode nine we're all anticipating it we're following we're gonna anticipate some backlash for han solo too you can't make shit in this world anymore without some sort of backlash or someone being butthurt about it logan uh what do you the case for <laughs> there's an article we, we came across about the the case for Hera. uh yeah if you'd like to briefly go over that yeah so just briefly Hera's had so many stories that a lot of people don't even realize. Because I remember I was talking with a few of my friends. They're like, oh, man, Hera's totally going to die in Rebels. I'm like, you know, she survives, right? They're like, no, no, she doesn't. And I just showed them a clip from, I think it was Forces of Destiny, with her and Han Solo on Endor in canon. And uh, there's, just, there's just so many stories about her. Like, there's in Dr. Afra, Like, there's Forces of Destiny. And, of course, where we all know her from rebels and i feel like they can make a few more stories with her there's still more that we can talk about her maybe more of her more of her childhood on ryloth with her father champs and doula and uh how they got along during that time pretty much maybe have like a little clip on how she found chopper as well because we all know that he was in a y-wing and she reprogrammed him i believe 
and like befriended him. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we get more stories about her and her son, Jason. Maybe Jason's a force user and she teaches him like, I don't know, just how good of like how good his father was. And maybe some clips about her teaching Jason how to fly the ghost or just ships in general. Yeah, I th- I feel like they can really expand on the Harris story. I, I like make some sort of uh, meanwhile elsewhere, or like show her like at in these decisive battles throughout the uh, the Civil War. You know, Harris is a very interesting character, and I I feel like we've all grown attached to her at this point. And with the departure of all the other Rebels characters, and Harris surviving and being being integral in that rebellion that eventually did overcome the Empire, uh, there's definitely room to expand on her. Uh, with it coming to animated characters, though, there's not a lot of crossover from characters that originated in animation and then moved on to live action. The only, I believe, the only character to have done that is Saw Gerrera, if I'm correct. So, but who knows? Maybe in episode nine, like I said earlier, maybe Ahsoka can come in. Maybe, I don't know, Ezra can come into episode nine and we should try to get more characters from that because I believe what the directors are trying to do, they're saying, oh, well, what if you say, oh, their parents, like with Ray, for example, a lot of people thought it was going to be Iden Versio. Like how do people think if, oh, Ray's parents are Iden Versio, like only a small portion of like real fans would be like, holy crap, this is amazing <laughs> on my head. And then just like all the other people are like, who the hell is Iden Versio and why is she important yeah. and why are all these people screaming oh yes this is amazing because i never saw it in any of the other films but what they should do is point at like the real star wars fans because we're the ones that buy the tickets we're the ones who buy the opening night tickets we buy we're the ones who buy the blu-ray discs we buy the whole sagas together even if we have (laughs) all the movies we want it matching we buy all the action figures we buy all the dioramas everything so they be so they should be pointing that at us and they should have characters from like animated films well, and animated series go into the live action films. I agree. Uh, there's an interview with Daisy Ridley a couple oh, days ago. And Mo, Mo has a massive crush on Daisy Ridley. Uh, like, Boy, do I. She's only doesn't. 25, guys. She's only 22. She's literally in my age. <laughs> if, if that's the case, she might as well be in mine, too. Shit. What? Eight years is a big difference. Oh, that means she's eight that's years a whole older two, That's a whole two sets of puberty right there. That's weird to think that when I was in second grade, she was only she was sixty. She was my age when I was. Damn. All right. Damn, Daniel. But yeah, she she just briefly touched on stuff uh, about the last Jedi and uh, just how just how Daisy Ridley is, you know. Just, yeah, she sat down with Andy Gutierrez, who's the host of the Star Wars show. Gutierrez. And they, and they answered a couple of submitted questions via social media for Star Wars The Last Jedi. It was in London, a Q&A. Um, basically, they wanted to release and celebrate the release of the film on home video, which if you haven't gotten it yet, be sure to keep an eye out and to get it soon. It's a 37-minute discussion. Ridley, in this, she, say, she shares several bits uh, of tiny information about her time filming The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Now, I went through it, and though she seems to be in like a very conservative Mormon dress, she is as charming and as um, brilliant as ever, I think. <laughs> You're no, I mean, if you look at this, so like, I haven't seen this, like, not even, <laughs> this isn't even 1950s, this is like 1850s. But like, she pulls it off, yo. What, what she did. She goes, some of the things she touches on is Ray's weakness for longing for something um, in The Last Jedi, the newfound challenges in the film, including Mark Hamill, her real-life location experiences, the different porgs, and her thoughts on the path of Kylo Ren and whether or not he's redeemable, even for just a split second in The Last Jedi. <clears throat> in this, I, I highly suggest everyone gets, um, you'll get all kinds of little snippets of information like the fact that she plays the violin the fact that um, she cried when she saw um, John Williams composing music for The Force Awakens, for example. Um, all kinds of really awesome pieces of information. I think if you're interested at all in Daisy Ridley or the behind-the-scenes work of The Last Jedi, then for sure check out this interview. Yeah. Uh, John Powell has <laughs> officially began scoring 
uh, the Han Solo film, and we are 74 days out from that movie. 74. 74 days. It's it's, it's approaching, boys. It's approaching. <laughs> but I'm excited for the film. I think we all are. But with that being said, I think we are going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Newback Discussion podcast. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube's PlayStation Network. We will link everything down below. Make sure to follow us on everything. Stay tuned for more and more content. We got weeks and weeks and weeks to come. We aren't stopping anytime soon. This is a train, and we're going to keep putting coal in it. Uh, Thanks, guys. This is uh, TJ Bowser signing off. Jordan White is out of the building. Jug the Rogue getting off. <laughs> what is wrong with that? I don't understand. What the hell is going on? I don't understand what's wrong with that. <laughs> what is wrong with getting off? <laughs> getting off. What is wrong? Uh, I'm dead. I'm dead. I knew this was gonna happen. I was, I was gonna say, I'm like, oh, say signing off, and then TJ's like, oh, TJ Bowser signing off. Like, well, fine. I'm gonna say getting off again. Screw <laughs> <laughs> you guys. Oh fuck. Oh, that's a great blooper. I'm gonna get <sighs> off again. Screw you guys. <laughs>